Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. We're going to be all over the place this evening, but if you haven't, I know this is weird because we're in Proverbs, but I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. If you are just joining us for the first time in a couple weeks, we are in this series entitled, This is the Way. Let me hear you say it. This is the way we're kind of walking through wisdom literature in scripture. And over the last several weeks, we've been kind of looking at the character and nature of God through very, very practical things that reflect God's image in the world. Three weeks ago, we talked about how God is wise and how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, us seeing God for who he is, is the beginning of of wisdom. Then the week after that, we talked about how God is friend, how we can cultivate meaningful friendships in our life because God first is our friend. Last week, Pastor Victor opened up the scriptures and he talked about how God speaks. And he talked about how the people of God use words that uh, speak truth, that speak less than they think they should, and that, that use their words to speak healing grace. And tonight I want to talk to you about how God is generous. Let me hear you say God is generous. Tonight I want to kind of hit on the topic of money and finances. And I can't tell you how excited I am to talk about this topic. And I know that's like so weird for so many reasons. And we can go through these kind of reasons why. Because normally in church, when the pastor begins to talk about money, people get weird. And rightly so. Rightly so, right? Like if we, if we look at the history, and we, it doesn't take long for us to maybe open up the internet, and you can see case after case after case of like, of like le- le- religious leaders, not just Christians, but religious leaders in general, like have abused this topic and taken advantage of this topic. And normally, when this topic is talked about in main church, people kind of begin to grab their wallets, and they kind of feel weird, and they kind of put on their jackets, and they walk outside. But I think that this is one of like the best topics to talk about when you're in high school, mainly because you're all broke. <laughs> like, even if I wanted to like raise money for something, you ain't got no money, right? Like, but it's more than that. It's more than that. Like there is, there's something about this topic that I think we buy into the lie that, you know, this is something that we really don't need to talk about until you're in college or maybe even more so when you're out of college or if you're really dumb when you get married. And I just think that's not the case. I think the time to talk about this topic is here and now. Now, here's what I want to lay before you before we hop in. This doesn't just go for tonight. It goes for every message we've done in this series. And it goes for every message like beyond this series. Whenever you talk through wisdom literature and you're hitting on topics, topics like cultivating meaningful friendships and and speaking words of wisdom and, and topics like money, there is two lenses or two opportunities to look at these, these conversations or these teachings. The, the first lens we might look at it is like kind of through a moral lens. And this is what I mean by that. We talked about this at the beginning of the series that what wisdom literature reveals to us in scripture is that we live in a moral universe. And this is what I mean by that. In the Christian worldview, we have the perspective that there is in fact a right and a wrong. This isn't a world where we simply go, just live your own truth, you do you. 
That's not the perspective that the, that the believer takes on the world. The perspective the believer takes on the world is this is my father's world. More specifically, this is my heavenly father's world. And he defines what is right, what is wrong, what is life, what is death, what is righteous, what is evil, what is good, what is bad. And so when we begin to have these conversations, Sometimes like these are the lenses that we take, that this is right and this is wrong. This is good and this is bad. This is righteous and this is evil. And then this is what ends up happening. As we have this conversation, we begin to believe that maybe our relationship with God is based upon this good and bad, this righteous and evil, this right and wrong. And so what ends up happening is we buy into this gospel that these things are what we do in order to have a relationship with God. We have meaningful friendships. We speak words of life, not of death, or, or we manage our money well. And when we do these things, we can walk with Jesus. And I just think that is not the gospel. And I want to address that like right out the gate. When we, when we have these conversations, I want to prevent us from looking through a moral lens. And I would rather us look at this through a redemptive lens. And this is the difference between these two. With a moral lens, this is going to require that, that your good news is you got to move towards God in order to have a relationship. A redemptive lens, though, says that God, before the foundation of the world, chose to move towards us. He chose to move towards us. And he has invited us to live with him by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so instead of embracing this life of wisdom for a relationship with Jesus, we get to embrace a life of, of, of wisdom from a relationship with Jesus. Are you with me? And so the invitation is not live a life for Jesus. It's live a life with Jesus. Are you with me? There's a big difference between those two things. And unless you address that right out the gate, these, these topics are tough. They're behavior modification at best. They're showing you kind of what to do right and what not to do wrong. And at the end of the day, whenever you fall short, you are going to feel like I have no good relationship with God. When in reality, the good news is your relationship with God is never dependent on you or what you do. Your relationship with God is always dependent on what Christ has done on your behalf. Are you with me? This is our good news. And when we begin to talk, talk about this topic of money, I think it's important that we put this before us. Now, I'm going I'm to put all cards on the table. This is not a tithing message, okay? This isn't why you should be giving your money to the church. That's not this type of message. What am I, more cards on the table. I'm going like, to be straight, candid, honest with you. Like, this is one of my favorite topics on planet Earth. You know how people like have like different guilty pleasures? Like you got guilty pleasures, so you're like watching New Girl or Office or whatever the heck you guys watch these days. I don't even know. Marvel's what if, I don't know, <laughs> right? Like, like, hear me, this is, this is the most nerd old man thing that you will hear about me. Two things that I do as an old, as an old man. I play pickleball and I read finance books for fun. I'll read, I'll read two, three finance books a month. I listen to financial podcasts. I listen to financial audio books. Like, <laughs> my wife hates it. She hates it. I'll be like, babe, we'll go out on date night. She's like, what do you want to talk about? I was like, let's talk about investing. 
She's like, you outside your mind, sweetheart. Like, I, I love talking about money, but here, here's, I, like, I love to learn and I love to grow and I love to, like, I, lo- I love to hear, like, what's happening in the world and how people view money. And the, you got, like, your Dave Ramsey method that's, like, no debt. Rah, cool, cool. And then you have, like, your rich dad, poor dad, Robert Kiyosaki stuff that's, like, all debt's what it's all about. And it's, like, I like to, like, go in between those worlds and learn and listen and learn and listen. But here's the thing. Why I really love learning about money is because I see this as one of the best ways to bear the image of Christ in the world. It is one of the best ways to show the world who my God is. And I'm gonna talk about that here in a second, but I wanna suggest to you this evening that when we talk about any of these topics, what I want you to try to look for is what God's inviting us into. This life of wisdom is not just to do life well. That's not the purpose of wisdom. If that is the means to the end of wisdom, then truthfully, wisdom is a waste of time. But if God is giving us wisdom on how to navigate these different areas of our lives, friendships, he gives us friendships, why? Not just for life to be awesome, but because our friendships reflect to the world who our God is. God is friend. Are you with me? Like there is a way to do friendships right. There's a way to do friendships wrong. We, there, there's this stuff we call food. Who likes food? I love food. I love food so much. Like Sam's up here talking about two Thanksgivings. Like, yes, when you have like both in-laws in town, double Thanksgivings, double leftovers, it's glorious. I'm fat, but it's glorious, right? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Theologians and scholars, they, they, they call these things like friendships, food. They call them common grace. Everyone say common grace. This is what common grace means. These are things that are gifts from God, the creator of our world, that whether you are a believer or a non-believer, you get to enjoy, okay? So whether you believe in Jesus or don't believe in Jesus, Chick-fil-A can taste awesome. Are you with me? Right? Like, like, Like common grace. Now, here's the thing. There's a way to eat food well that like makes you feel chiseled. And there's a way to eat food not well that makes you feel tough, in all the wrong ways, right? Like common grace. All right, here with me. We're in high school. Sex. Right? Like, but hear me, hear me. Whether, whether you are a believer or you are, you are a non-believer, sex is a gift God gave to humanity to be enjoyed. And what he says is this. I got you. I got you, Pastor V. Here we go. We're going there, right? This is to be enjoyed. Now, here's the thing. There's a way to enjoy it that does not reflect the image of God. And there is a way to enjoy sex that does reflect the image of God, namely in the covenant between a man and a woman in marriage. It is a gift that either reflects God's image or does not reflect God's image, money. Money is a gift God has given the world to be enjoyed, to be stewarded. Now here's the thing, we can either take it and not reflect God's image in the world with it, or we can take it and we reflect God's image in the world with it. Are you with me tonight? I wanna show you how important this is in scripture, but before we open it up, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. We're just so eager and so honored that we get to open up your word this evening that we get to talk about the things of you. But ultimately, Lord, what I desire for myself, what I desire for my friends this evening 
is that you would break us down in every way that you need to so that you might build us up in every way that you need to. Father, I pray that that we wouldn't walk away tonight thinking about money. That we wouldn't walk away tonight thinking about what we need to fix or what we need to change, but we would walk away tonight dumbfounded by the good news of Jesus Christ. What you have done for us, who you are for us. I pray that you would leverage this attribute of yourself, your generosity to help us see you more beautifully, walk with you more faithfully and love you more genuinely. Would you come and would you have your way with us tonight? And if you're with me, can you say amen? Amen, 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 amen. Why is the subject of money and resource so important? Why is it so important? Let me give you a little bit of perspective on this topic in scripture, okay? In scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, there are roughly 500 verses that talk about the topic of prayer. The topic of prayer. If somebody tells you something 500 times, odds are you need to listen right? Convert, or similarly, we have 500 verses, Old Testament and New Testament, that talk about the topic of faith. Now, this is a very significant topic to us, right? Because we are saved by grace through what? Faith in Jesus Christ. Like these, these are big deal topics. 500 verses on prayer, 500 verses on faith. There are roughly 2,000 verses, Old Testament and New on the topic of finance and resource in scripture. In the New Testament alone, roughly one out of every 10 verses is about money. In Jesus's teachings, 16 out of his 38 parables had to do with money. In the gospel recordings alone, roughly 25% of his teaching was based on money. If you put that in context today, that would mean of the four Wednesdays that I preach to you in a month, every month I would start the first one with talking about money with you. That would be the reflection of what Jesus's ministry looked like as recorded in the gospels. In the Proverbs alone, there are over a hundred verses that address money and resource. There is something about the idea of money and resource and the way humanity engages with money and resource that God is passionate about us catching. This is why it's in the inspired word of God. And we gotta pay attention to it. We gotta, we gotta take notice to it. We can't just like glaze over and go, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like be a giver. Don't be rich. Don't be selfish. Don't be greedy. There's so much more to it than that. My prayer for all of you that, is that none of you have poverty when you grow older that all of you get out there and you bust your butts and you make good money. I'm not gonna condemn that, but there's a way to handle it that it, it informs us in the scripture. So before we hop into the Proverbs, I want you to see this teaching that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount on Matthew chapter six. We're just gonna read a couple of verses here. Matthew six, starting in verse 19, Jesus is looking at his followers and all the people that are in front of him and he says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But pay attention here. But store up for yourselves treasures in 
heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, if you're taking notes, write these words down. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jumping to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Okay, so Jesus is on the Sermon on the Mount. He's beginning to address, like, what does it mean to be followers of Jesus? And when it comes to this topic of money and resource, he opens up with saying, do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moths and dust and vermin destroy, but do lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. You cannot serve two gods. You cannot serve both God and money. You're either going to love one, hate the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. Now, this is what I want you to pay attention to with this text. What Jesus is getting after here is he's saying, wherever you put your money, wherever you invest yourself in, whatever you, you, you pour your resource into, that's going to reveal to you what you value most in this life. Wherever you, wherever you dump your resource and keep, keep pouring yourself all the resource and provision God's giving you, that's going to reveal what your ultimate treasure is. Money in and of itself is not a bad thing. Wealth in and of itself is not a bad thing. But if it's where your supreme treasure lies, if it's what you value most, you've missed the most precious thing this life has to offer. Are you with me? So this is what I want to suggest to you tonight. I want to suggest that we were made for three things. We were made for three things that, that, that help us reflect the image of God. We were made for three things. Now, this is the first one that I want to talk to you about. We were made to work hard. And this is the reason why I want to talk about this, because this somewhat has nothing to do with money, but here's the reality is that most of the money you are going to make in your lifetime is going to be because you work. And here, here, here's what I think often is misunderstood. That work is a product of the fall. That work is something that it's like, oh, we have to do this now because Adam and Eve just screwed it up in the garden and now all of us for the rest of our lives gotta work so that we can put food on the table, so that we can drive a car, so that we can go to the movies, so that we can do whatever. But I wanna suggest to you that the Bible has something different to say about that. You were made pre-fall to work hard. I'm gonna show you this in Proverbs, then I'm gonna show you in the Old and New Testament. Proverbs 14, 23 says this, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. If you got the time and you're taking notes, just write down the reference, Proverbs 14, 23. Second one, Proverbs uh, 10, 4. Lazy hands, everyone say lazy hands. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 28, 19. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. What Solomon is getting after in this text is he's saying, look, if you want to live a life of wealth, if you actually want to make a lot of money, if you want to have plenty, you're going to have to learn this very simple yet difficult thing, to work hard, to work hard. 
And I want you to pay attention to this because it's not just because we need money. When we work hard, we in fact reflect the image of God. Our God is a working God. Look in Genesis 2.2. Genesis 2.2. Can we put that one up on the screen, Jackson? Now on the seventh day, God finished his what? Say it again. Work that he had done. God finished his work that he had done. If you're new to church, the very front of the Bible, the book of Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, gives us an account of God the Father before the creation of the world, looking across the universe and making the heavens and the earth, making the land and the sea, the moon, the stars, the sun, making the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, the fish of the sea, all the plants, all the trees. On the sixth day, he creates his masterpiece peace, a human being, one who bears his image, and he calls it all good. And right here on Genesis 2-2, the author says, on the seventh day, God finished his work, and he rested. Before there is even a Genesis 3, before there is even a fall, we're given a picture of a God who works, but it doesn't just end there. When God creates Adam and Eve, he puts them in the garden and he says, what? Be fruitful and multiply. Work the ground. See, hear me. Work is not something that came after the fall. Here's what came after the fall. Work became frustrating and toilsome after the fall. Prior to the fall, work is what we were created to do. Man and woman. And hear me, we were created to work hard. Like, look, th th think about work. Think about, I'm, I'm having a guy come replace my deck this weekend. It's expensive. I just need to let that go before I begin to talk, okay? I'm having a guy come to, to replace my deck this weekend and my deck just looks like crap right now. Like, if you walk out on my deck, you could get hepatitis, I'm not even kidding. Like, like you probably get 18 splinters. Like, like the boards on my deck are like bowing up to where it's like, it feels like you're surfing when you step out on my deck. Like there are so many forms of like, like, the, like my deck looks like the fall. Genesis three. Okay. Like my deck looks like the fall. But here's the thing. I'm going to have this guy come who's just, he's a craftsman and he works well with his hands and he's going to take the hands that God gave him and he's going to use it to take materials that, that our God's earth has produced to build something that looks much better than what is there now. Here's the thing. God made us to use our minds, to use our hands, to make the world a better place. You hear me? Like, he has created you and you bear his image so that when you guys go to high school and when you are working in your classroom and when you're out there and you're making $18 an hour working at a movie theater, that's ridiculous, but good for your generation. You get $18 an hour working at a movie theater. Like, like, like you would make the world a better place. Why? Because when God worked, he made the world a better place. When God worked, he made the world a better place. But that's not the only time we see God working. Fast forward to the New Testament in John chapter five. Jesus, he's walking into Jerusalem. He goes, he's going into the synagogue and he goes by the pool of Bethesda and he sees this man who's been paralyzed for 30 plus years and he looks at him and he says, do you want to be healed? And, and the man's like, I, have, I, I haven't been able to be put into the pool. And he goes, don't worry about it. Get up, take your mat and walk. And the man gets up, takes his mat and begins to move. And right here, you've got the Pharisees looking in going, whoa, 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 whoa. 
what are you doing healing on the Sabbath? They begin to persecute him. And Jesus says this in his defense, my father is always at his what? Work to this very day. I too am what? The son of God, the lamb that was slain came here to what? Work. Brothers and sisters, if we wanna make disciples and we wanna teach people to be followers of Jesus, we better be people who know how to work hard. And I'm asking, I'm like, I'm looking, I'm pleading with you. Be men and women who make the decision in your high school years. Not after you graduate college, not when you get married, not six years from now, not 10 years from now, right now. To be a people who works hard. Why? Because you reflect the image of God when you do it. Colossians 3.23, Paul says, everything you do, do it as what? unto the Lord. In other words, all of our work, whether it's pathetic work or whether it's our best work, whether it's lazy work or it's perfect work, is worship to the Lord. Whether you are going to be in the military, a teacher, somebody who works at a gas station, someone working at McDonald's, a pastor, a worship leader, a business owner, I don't know what other things are out there, but whatever you're going to do when you get up every day and you put your hand to the plow, it's an act of worship. Why? Because the way in which you will do it reflects the God that you submit your life to. Are you with me? You were made to work hard, but that's not the only thing you were made to do. Number two, you were made to steward well. Made to steward well. Look here in Proverbs 21:20. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Proverbs 13, 11, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. This is what he is saying here. He's saying the people who take what I have given them and learn to live by their means day by day, those are going to be the wealthy people. This is why you shouldn't try to spend your life making your wealth, playing the lotto. Why? Because that doesn't do anything for you. When you learn to walk day by day with what God has entrusted to you and steward it well, you live on less than you make, what do you do? You show the world that you know how to steward what God has given you. Now, this is important. What does stewardship mean? What does stewardship mean? This, this, is, this is the the image I want you to get. When you are stewarding something well, it means that everything that you have has a purpose to it. You with me? Everything that you have has a purpose to it. And this is, this is important because again, this reflects the image of God. God doesn't create anything to waste anything. God doesn't create anything to waste anything. Everything that God creates, he has a purpose for. He has a plan for every person in this room that he created for here and now in this moment, he has a plan for, he has a purpose for, he's not going to waste any of it. He's not going to waste any of your life. Even the parts of your life where you neglect him, even the parts of your life where you ignore him, he won't waste any of it. Our God is purposeful with everything. But this is what you gotta pay attention to in Matthew 25. I don't have time to read through the scripture. In Matthew 25, we get the parable of the talents. 
And what Jesus says is he goes, well, I have a ruler who comes in and he gives a certain allotted of money and resource to three men. And he says, I want you to steward my money. And when I come back, I will collect an account on what you have made for me. And so the first man you have go and, and invest the resource and he multiplies it. The second guy you have go invest it and he multiplies it. And the third guy has no idea what to do. He has no purpose for the master's money. So he takes it and he buries it in a field. And on the coming of the master, he goes, okay, I'm here to draw my accounts. And he sees that this guy has multiplied his money. And he's like, blessed are you. Second guy, you've multiplied my money. Blessed are you. Third guy, I buried it and put it in the field. And he goes, you wicked man. You wasted what was mine. And I need you to pay attention there. Everything that all three men had was not their own. It was the ruler's. When he looks at you and me and he entrusts something to you, he gives you a job. You begin to make money. You begin to make resources. Everything you do with that money reflects the one who gave it to you. This is why we have to steward. Well, this is why a budget is so important. Let me just get so 50-year-old on you for a second. Like I know like budgets are lame and Excel spreadsheets are lame and there's gonna be like three of you who become like an accountant in here. Come find me when you get older because we can have some fun together, okay, right? But like, like hear me, what does a budget do? It makes you have purpose for everything that God has given you. Let me just put this before you and I want you to hear my heart here. This is why I love tithing. Oh, this is why I love tithing. It's not because I believe that when my wife and I give that we are going to get more. It has nothing to do with that. You know what tithing automatic, automatically does? At the first of the month, when that, when that portion of our money goes out every month, you know what it reminds me every time? This isn't mine. This isn't mine. Never was in the first place. Never will be. It's not mine. It's not mine. And I believe that God has chosen his local church to be the bearer of his witness in the world. And this is why my wife and I love to give. We love to give because every time we do, we're reminded it's not ours. And every time we do, we know that this money has a purpose. It's going to something. It's going to something. Learn to be good stewards right now. What does a steward mean? Everything that God gives you, whether it's a job, whether it's money, whether it's your school, don't care what it is, make it have a purpose. Are you with me? You were made to steward well. Why? Because God is a good steward. Number three, we were made to bless generously. Ooh, I'm getting excited. We were made to bless generously. Look at here at Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. It says this, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. If you fast forward to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 9, he says this, you will be enriched in every way. Pay attention here. 
you will be enriched in every way. Why? To be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. What is the primary reason God enriches our lives? What is the primary reason God will give you anything in your life? Whether it be a good family, whether it be good friendships, whether it be a good job, whether it be a good education, why does God give you anything to enrich your lives? It says it right there, so that you can enrich the lives of others. Like, like think about how bad news the gospel would be if God chose not to give. The most popular verse in the gospel of John that's said all around the world all the time, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. And what did he give? The most precious thing in all the universe. He gave himself. He gave himself. We were made to bless generously. What happens when we tap in to this life? What happens when we live our lives with open hands? In the, in the Old Testament, one of the oldest Old Testament definitions of wickedness, of wickedness, is to live a life like this. Everything is mine. I have to do it my way. Everything that I have, I use and I spend and I live for my glory and for my sake. When Jesus said, it is better to give than to receive. He's looking at his followers and he's saying, you wanna know like, like where you will find life. It's not going to be in hoarding things up for yourself. It's going to be in the giving of yourself. Why? Because when we give, we experience the heart of God himself. We experience his own character, his own nature. In Luke chapter 12, we get this parable of a rich fool. And Jesus begins to tell this story of a, of a young man who, who looked out and he had done well. He had made his wealth and his barns were overflowing, his vats were overflowing. And in his own ego, he's looking at himself and he's going, what shall I do? My barns are overflowing. And then he goes, I know what I'll do. I'll break down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And I'll fill those. And then in my old age, I will be merry. I will feel good and I will say to my soul, life is good. But in verse 20, it says, God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. What happens? What happens when instead of living our lives for the best of ourselves, we become a people who live for the sake of others. We find the heart of Jesus. Can you stand with me?
like I said, I, oh, I am so passionate about this message to high school students. So passionate about it. Think about all of the families, the marriages, the businesses, the homes, the communities that could prosper if young people just grasp this at a young age. That in fact, when we work hard, we bear the image of God. When we take all that God has given us, we don't see it as our own, but we give it purpose because God is purposeful. And that when we look at everything that God has given us for one primary purpose, to give it away. To live as a blessing for the sake of other people. I don't know if you were paying attention when Sam came up and he was talking about the offering, but that was a beautiful story riddled with the gospel. That our lives, our lives are to be spent giving. And if you don't have money, it does not matter. Why? Because we're called to give hope with everything whether it's a homeless man who can't keep his pants up and you need to take a belt off so that he can keep his pants up. Whether it's a friend who's struggling in school and you have the knowledge and the ability to teach them better. Whether it's the next generation coming up and you wanna take your time to invest and pour into them. Hear me. The invitation of the gospel, brothers and sisters, is for you to live like this. Will you bow your heads with me? I just want to invite you. I just want to invite you in the next couple moments to just have an honest exchange of relationship with Jesus right now. And here, here's where I think faith takes us. I think faith takes us to a place that says, God, I realize that in these areas of my life, I'm clenching my fists and I'm trying to do this my way. And as the worship team plays this worship song, I just want you to invite him to go ahead and pry open your fingers and to take those things out of your hand. And in place of them, give you himself and hear his words say trust me I will show you how to live a life that is worth living I will show you how to bear my image in the world when it comes to all that I've given you I want you to enjoy all of this but I don't want you to enjoy it more than me and that's when you know you're holding on to something so tightly is you cherish it more than God himself. This is why Jesus said, do not lay up treasures for yourself where moth and vermin destroy. No, no, no. Lay up your treasures in heaven. In other words, God is saying, value me more than anything else and I will show you life. So Holy Spirit, would you come? (laughs) Would you set us free? be men and women who work hard, who steward well, and who bless generously. 
Let's worship. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.